0: Hello, Uh, and welcome to the Title Block. Can you even see me? Let me just get Zoom all sorted out here. All right, Uh, welcome back to the Title Block. I'm your host, of course, Michael Cruz. And this week, uh, we'll be taking your questions on set design. Thanks a bunch for finding us this week on the YouTube channel. Last week, I know it was a bit uh, exciting, uh, but to make sure you don't miss out next time, make sure that you click subscribe on the uh, Title Block page there on the uh, YouTube page for Title Block. Uh, Joining me uh, this week, a fantastic panel, which you can see before you. Um, This person is a former president of the ADC, although she continues to design for theater from time to time. She has spent many years working as a set designer and art director for film and television in Toronto and has just retired from teaching theatre at the University of Guelph. She recently published a book on the design work of Susan Benson and was the co-creator of a touring exhibition and catalogue of the work of Cameron Porteous. From episode 31 of the title block, please welcome Pat Flood. Hello. <laughs> Uh, This person is a Toronto-based set and costume designer who has worked across Canada as well as in the United States and England. She also teaches in the Department of Theater at York University from episode number five and six of the title block, Please welcome Sean Kerwin. Hi. Uh, She is a a set and costume designer for theater, opera, dance, and site-specific installations. Uh, She also loves being part of the process of working on new work from a future episode. Of the title block. Please welcome. Camellia Koo.
1: Hiya.
0: This person has been designing uh, sets and costumes for theater uh, and some opera and dance for more than 40 years. Her work has always ranged from major festivals to small independent companies. With lots of new work in the mix. From episode number 18 of the title block, please welcome Sue LePage. Uh, And this person has been designing since 1977 when he quit uh, as a high school art teacher. Uh, He has no training and has faked his way through it ever since. From episode 44 of the title block, please welcome Ken McDonald. That is an awesome bio, by the way, Ken. Thank you so so (laughs) much. Um, And he is a scenic lighting and costume designer based in Toronto. He's been a resident artist at Soul Pepper Theatre Company and is the current president of the board of directors of the Associated Designers of Canada. From a future episode of the title block, please welcome Ken McKenzie. Hi, gang. Uh, he is an award-winning set costume, lighting, and projection designer. He's been designing for 20 years, most notably with Soulpepper Theater, the Stratford Festival, the Grand Ballet Canadien, Joffrey Ballet, and most regional theaters from coast to coast. From episode 39 of the Title Block, please welcome Lorenzo Savoini. Awesome. And my co-host on the Title Block Live is a lighting, set, and projection designer from Vancouver. It is Mr. Connor Moore. Connor, hello. Hello, how's it going? Whew, better. Um, Here we are. Let me just double check to make sure the stream
2: is working. Yeah, I don't mean to be that guy, but I just went to the YouTube page and it seemed to say it was still waiting and that we weren't actually live. That's very odd. I went through all of that. Let's find out. I think that we
0: are... Let me
3: double check. Oh, that seems very strange.
2: I think we're live now. I just went over to YouTube and saw it. I think there's a delay. Uh, I think that's
0: what the, what that is. Uh, let me just double check.
4: They're, they're censoring out all our swear words. So it's like a <laughs> yeah, <seven> probably.
0: <laughs> there is no delays. You can uh, go ahead and swear all you want. <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll find out. Um, yeah, let me just uh, go to...
2: I think we're good. I just saw someone in the YouTube chat say, you are live. Oh, fantastic. Oh, good.
0: I'm just on the so wrong also page.
2: Seen this conversation about whether or not we're live.
0: Oh, thank God. Oh, it's live It says live now. That's fantastic. Okay, good. <laughs> I have to figure that'll be what I figure out next week is to find to figure out how I'm actually live. Uh, all right. Well, take it away, Connor. Um, go ahead and start the interrogation. Who's, uh, who's
2: going to answer uh, some questions for us about set design? Awesome. Well, thank you very much to all the panelists who have joined us tonight. And thank you to everyone watching on YouTube. And if you have any questions at any point, post them in the YouTube chat and Michael will send them over to us. Uh, So I wanted to start with a broad question, which is, what made each of you decide to pursue set design?
4: Well, uh, I'll start just to to start the conversation. Uh, uh, I was convinced to do it. I was actually, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in performance, and uh, I took a lot of design electives. And the head of design at Concordia University, um, she, she basically, she made me her project. She decided she would turn me into a designer. And I think what really sealed the deal for me is that after I graduated and was still occasionally auditioning for things, I was asked to audition for a character in a coma and uh and I didn't get the part and so I think I decided <laughs> oh, I don't I don't need to be an actor. <laughs> just not ah! a thing I'm all that interested in. So so um so I I focused on design at that point and, and then it just kind of uh picked up and um and that's that's basically how it started.
5: I did I started oh go 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 oh. I did performance at university too, and left thinking I needed more training if I was going to do that. But I loved it all. I loved everything that I did and liked to do things with my hands. So once I got busy and working backstage, then that it 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 was it was just a natural sort of a, a progression, and I had. as you said, Ken, some electives and that sort of thing. So I had some tools and then I worked backstage as an assistant and designing my own little things for 10 years. And I loved all of that. I didn't feel that I was waiting in the wings at all. I, I really enjoyed it. I remember going up one of the first years, uh, the first year I was there at Stratford just sort of working in the loading dock, going up to John Ferguson and going, how long will it take me to be a designer like you and, um five years or or ten years and he said to me i'm not that old <laughs> <laughs> that was it that was it so yes just just felt at home and the uh, progress was natural
6: i was um teaching high school teaching art grade 11 and 12 drawing and painting and my friend Sheila McCarthy was going out with Don Shipley and he was going to be doing a show. He was taking over the Belfry Theatre and she said, well, my friend Ken can draw. And I went, well, okay. So he said, do you want to design a set for me? I said, well, I've never done that, um, but I'll try. And it was putting on the Ritz. And um, so we I simply drew a drawing of what I thought the final set might look like, not in any scale or anything, just like a drawing. And somebody built it. And <laughs> then after that, he said, um, would you like to be my resident designer and I said mm, okay so I quit teaching high school and uh, I just I mean that's why I said I'm the one who faked it through and then I taught myself how to do blueprints at the time and just sort of cried my way through learning that and I've never been very good at drafting thank you Ken McKenzie and Lorenz and other who assisted me um, and so I just fell into it because all my friends were in theater and I was a, I, you know, sang and danced in shows, but I was terrible. So it was much better to be on this side.
1: I was working uh, in Toronto when I was in high school at Factory Theatre, designing, well, I wouldn't say designing, putting costumes on actors uh, and uh, working at Toronto Free Theatre, uh, doing the same thing with tiny, tiny, tiny budgets and small resources. and. Um, Eric Steiner, uh, uh, the director, who I was a very good friend with, said I needed to get some training. Uh, And um, I kind of ran off. No, I didn't run off to England. I went to England. I'd been planning to go to England a lot. Uh, But I finally went with Factory Theatre when Ken Gass took a bunch of Canadian plays over, some of which I had... um, done the costumes for. And I was 20 years old, I guess. Um, And I um, happened to go with Doug Robinson, who'd been the set designer, to see a school he was interested in looking at, which was the Sadler's Wells Design course. Uh, And I walked in the door, and the minute I walked in the door and met Percy Harris, who was one of the Motley designers, I thought I have to be here. And I ended up getting accepted there and the year was be, being a set and co- like doing set and costume design they didn't really separate out those two disciplines at all so I started designing sets because I was put in that world
7: um, I sort of I knew I wanted to be a set designer or costume designer both in high school, but I didn't really know what that meant in high school or how sometimes unglamorous it actually is.
1: Um,
7: I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be a children's story writer, illustrator. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be all these things, and then I sort of uh, was assisting with because uh, I was always doing art classes. They asked us to help paint the scenery and you know be backstage. I never wanted to be. I never wanted to perform. And then I discovered that I could be all those things—not an expert at any of them—but I got to be a bit of everything, and it was sort of the perfect thing where I could, you know, do all of those things. So, and then there's the history. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> similar for me was in high school wanting to be an architect. I think, um, and then there was a career day, and uh, an architect came and spoke, and he was uh so so boring <laughs> so boring and i thought oh my god i can't do that and i think he did like like bathrooms like he he focused on certain air er- like it was uh so disappointing <laughs> i wanted to meet frank gary and i didn't so anyway but uh like i think most you know went to university of guelph like went through performance uh but uh, went to university of guelph which is a I thought a great program because it, you, you bit into, yes, you bit into a bit of everything and it wasn't until um, sort of end of the first year after doing some performing and some intro to tech and being on cruise that I, I saw uh, one of the professors work, Alan Watts, who, you know, did something really, you know, I just never seen something symbolic or metaphorical uh, three-dimensionally on stage before. And uh, it was really, exciting and sort of made me curious which then led to uh taking courses and diving into the
2: other side of things pat do you want to weigh in on this yes. okay <laughs> i was also a
8: failed actor um, <laughs> and uh, but i remember when i was in high school uh, some touring company came and they set their setup on stage, and I got to go and help out. I don't know what I was doing, but I remember going up on the stage and just being amazed at this amaz- this world that was all fake, but looked so real that was on this stage and in this space. And I thought, I'd want to do that. I just want to make worlds <laughs> you know, that you know, other people can get into.
2: Amazing. So, moving on to a question about process when designing do you have a specific work process
5: deny deny deny
7: i think it's, it's different it's different for every show and it's different with every director and or team of collaborators i find so mm-hmm. depending on who i'm working with i like to say it's a director i've worked with a lot i know that process and we have a shorthand because um, we've done a few shows together, whereas working with a new director, you have to feel that out. and it has to work. There's no choice. It has to be a good relationship, no matter what, in order for the show to happen. So it, so you just find your way. and each and even with the same director that I worked with many times, each show is so different. The mm-hmm. space is so different, the budgets are so different. So I try not to I try not to lock myself into like a, a hard process or a hard methodology um because it's all about being adaptable and Mm -hmm. and being open enough to new ideas and just fluid enough to you know to um i don't know i can't can't speak anymore but um just to find the best solution as opposed to sort of going this is how i work which is not going to get you very far very fast at all so that's what i find
5: no, I think that's one of the reasons why we do what we do is we, we want to be chameleons, whether we are or not. Um, uh, the feeling that the, each new project with a director can take you in to a new place, and you don't know when you start with them whether you're going to be the lead or they're going to be the lead. I remember making a great piece with the idea of working with Robin Phillips when I was quite young, and it was absolutely terrifying. But I just went, what's... To lose, like if he wants to lead all of this, I'm just going to grow with it, and, and I'm going to learn to see how he sees, and then if it if it builds up, if I get a little pent up energy in terms of this is not me, well then, get away from that, and there it all is. It's you 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 know when you want the bit in your teeth because you've got a response to a script or a project that that you're the one, you're the you're the one that's out there. So I I I really I'd be so bored if it was just if if it was me if I mm-hmm. wasn't a yeah. perpetual student. So, yeah. yeah. I I think, I'd say that. Well, I would just ahead. say
3: that that it that it to expand on the question. Uh, I would say it's changed over the years. Uh, I think that when I first started, um, uh, or I should say that building confidence in, uh, um, how you through what door you go, go to, to sort of explore a play and what it is you're pulled to and interested in. You do eventually, um, develop a sense of aesthetic and a sense of yourself and a confidence in an interest of what pulls you in and then a desire to want to, um, have a voice and to be able to participate in the collaboration fully, and I think that uh, when I started, you know it was uh, you just wanted to not get fired and get away with it, and i still i think we all you know on some level you you still start and you think, "Oh my god, I've never done this before in a way you f- I feel um, trying to find the in uh, mm-hmm. how am I going to di- what diving board and through what door but Um, but I think to support what everyone's saying, I agree that collaboration really is the opportunity to, um, jump off into somewhere you've not been or to explore a play in a way that you're not used to, which can help you grow and and work in new ways.
0: That's interesting. I think, um, I'd be interested to know because a lot of us work in like, uh, in little bubbles uh and each team sort of finds a way of working with each other that is unique to the project and and uh, and circumstance was there anything that any of you found especially early in your career where you've been doing it you've been doing one thing one way and uh it never seemed strange until you kind of sort of went to a larger you went to a festival or you started talking to other designers and they didn't work that way at all uh anything you found out that uh, uh that you 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 know were a bit uh, surprised at by the way someone else worked, um, and then you would you know maybe adapted that to your own process or uh, or or uh, uh, or rejected it or or changed your changed your mind.
1: I know when I started working uh, doing costumes, I did everything myself, uh, and as I got a bit more experience, um, I. I found watching people who knew how to delegate to get other people to do things, that that was such a strange, exotic, uh, challenging concept. Uh, And so I think that there was a real period of transition when I realized I had to learn how to, if I was ever going to do anything, I had to... I had to be able to expand beyond being the person who did everything themselves. And uh, so learning the skills of how to get someone else to see inside your brain and communicate properly, that was, that was a huge, uh, that was a huge shift for me. Um, And I, I have really clear memories of how hard it was to make that, transition. But it was from watching, uh, you know, uh, watching that there were other designers and that they did things differently that I realized I had to figure out how to do it.
8: I remember the very first show I ever did was at Manitoba Theatre Centre Warehouse with a director named Michael Mawson and i had no idea what he was talking about (laughs) i honestly thought if he's you know if we both said red it would be a different red i i was and so discouraged in that first show um it was it was crazy that i thought wow there's so many different ways that people think and approach things and what's i guess been wonderful for me possibly because I've been very interested in the process of designing. and I've, you know, taught a fair bit like at Concordia at the University of Guelph and, and, and done a lot of sort of designer panels is I just love the different ways that people work. I remember Cami, one thing that you and Ida Holmes were talking about, I remember talking about like listing words. You mm-hmm. um, know, you just did a whole list of words at one point. And I thought, I've never thought of that. Like, I've never thought of that particular approach. And it's been so wonderful to see students and, and other designers who, like, all, I, mean, I know most of you guys in this panel, and uh, you've all been really good about sharing how you work. And, and, and it's been, it's, it's great. It, there's so many different approaches. And yet, they're, it, it's so exciting because of that.
4: Yeah, I find uh, seeing other designers process and their work like endlessly fascinating because I think there's something really interesting about just seeing a, a slightly different approach. It used to be when when I when I started that I would zero in on a particular idea really quickly, and I think one of the things that I've learned is how to be uh, c- continue to be open to a multiplicity or a critical mass of ideas, so that. Uh, by the time I'm having meetings with the director or or a few meetings in, we we still have that critical mass of ideas and we haven't we haven't winnowed away the things that we consider extra or, or that I might I might think are extra ideas or are are no longer useful. And and in fact most of the time they turn out to continue to be useful later on into the process. So it's that that was a real learning uh learning point for me. Like just the multiplicity of ideas is being really, really useful. I think I, I find that,
6: it. Oh, sorry. Let's, go through. You know,
5: I was just going to say, I don't think there's really in, in, in my world, a whole lot of rejecting. There's things that are wrong for this time and this combination, but I find early ideas go underground and still inform. that there's a kind of river that, that constitutes your own initial experience of it all that, that, that stays, that stays. And it often comes back when you're back in the theater, You go, oh, okay, everything's shifting again. And mm-hmm. then you've got that kind of underground source, but that doesn't mean you haven't really changed territory and, and, and covered a lot of ground. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I think continuing to, to shift, Ken, don't let me stop.
6: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I find that um, I, I have found out that I really need to come with something for the first or second meeting with the director that I can't expect that they are also, um, th- they're thinking design-wise at all. And if I don't come with something, some folded paper, some little sketches, mm-hmm. just some ideas that we can bounce off of, it's not much point in having a very first meeting like where we just sort of, well, what? like I know I've done a number of shows at Arena Stage in Washington recently, and they'll have what's called a design meeting. I, they'll fly me down just to have a talk. I always come down basically with a little model, all and a lot of ideas, and it often ends up being that with with things that like uh, Molly Smith, for for example, has has added to it. But I find that um, I think as a designer, you should be you should be coming with something and then let it bounce off because it's starting from nothing with both of you is really kind of impossible. Even if the idea that you bring is terrible, and you d- you all decide, well, that's awful, but I think that you should come with something. I think it's your responsibility as a designer.
3: Although, uh, uh, and I totally agree. uh, uh, There are, there are some directors uh, of a very high caliber that I've come to learn that um, if there's something I'm excited about, I may not necessarily want to thrust it upon them boldly the first meeting because uh, just out of spite, they'll say no and move on to uh, something that we could develop together. Uh, And so it really is, sometimes you do, I agree. Sometimes you've got these ideas and you're just really, this is it. This is so good. Um, And it's trying to um, realize that it really is like I've got personally, I've got to figure out how to let them into that because I can imagine if it's the other way around and they come and say, listen, I, I found this thing that I want it to be exactly like this. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, disarming and you're trying to find the, the language and the, the, the collaboration and, and the, the nature of it. Um, where that is, when you have a long-term relationship with somebody, uh, with a director, of course there's a shorthand yeah. and that's a lot easier uh, to, to manage. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, it's that weird balance of wanting to come as informed and ready and with the ability to have something to, to get the collaboration going at the same time, uh, trying to find a balance between uh, making everyone feel as though this is being birthed together. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. no, no, no I agree. Yeah. I,
1: I love turning up with a big bag full of ideas that I don't necessarily bring out. I, I feel like I may come to any meeting with a lot of thought, but I don't necessarily put it forward unless it seems to be appropriate to the conversation that I'm having with whoever I'm collaborating with. And, and because it's so important to hear them and see what bubbles out and so i've often gone to meetings with things that have never come out of the bag and i've been quite fine with that uh, because i feel secure that i've got things in the bag and i feel that if they don't need to come out then that's because i've learned something new to take away so much
5: depends depends on the temperament of the of the director that way if they've been busy on another project they may say help show me everything you've got I know I'm behind or, you know you can kick start me into this it's great or they may go I'm just not ready if I listen too much and we get into this too much now I, I'm giving it away before I know what I myself feel about it and 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 that I would I would come with things and keep them hidden away or an empty pad of paper that I was ready to drawn drawing the director out to me is the first meeting that's,
7: yeah. that's, for me for me too um i may i may have some ideas that i won't necessarily show unless i see that the conversation is going there anyways and i'm like well here's an idea you know? <laughs> yeah. <But> for me <laughs> my, for me the, the first my, day my <laughs> yeah my, exactly my my favorite part of of working with the director and my favorite shows have been on shows where i and the director are learning the show at the same time Mm -hmm. as opposed to them coming going this is what i want this is what i know and this is it and i'm trying to catch up and i've also worked on shows where i'm ahead of the director because they're on other shows and i'm trying to like pull teeth to get them to agree or even say if they like something so um for me my favorite shows are the ones where we are both learning the show at the same time we are jamming ideas together so i may bring a mass of books i may have my hidden sketches um, that's my actually favourite part of that process is, mm-hmm. is learning a show before even t- talking about ideas. The ideas will come, but even just actually making sure we both understand the show the same way. Mm-hmm. And um,
1: figuring out how to dance together. I yeah. feel it's like yeah. having a dance partner where you're doing that kind of waltzing dancing and you have to not step on each other's toes and you have to find the rhythm, yeah. uh, the, the combined ribbon. ribbon rhythm that you're going to have to move through things. And it's one, I think it's, I think it's one of the things I like most about the work is that relationship when it's really good. It's it's so wonderful.
5: Yeah.
2: The next question I have is sort of semi-related, but I I think it's territory that's worth exploring further. So the question is, what advice do you have towards battling artistic block and also Mm -hmm how do you keep your designs unique from one another?
1: I don't know if they are unique from one another. I think there are certain things that you, you, you start to recognize that you, you like, they may manifest themselves totally differently in every project. But I, I, I know for me, I've come to realize that there are certain kinds of flavors that I like, even though every recipe may turn out differently. Um, and In terms of when you get stuck, I really believe that often when I get stuck, I have to go back to the script. I have to trust mm-hmm. that if I go back to the script, there's going to be an answer there. And uh, The other thing is that I have to be willing to throw things out. um, And that sometimes I have to just put something in a model box, like literally a loaf of bread, like (laughs) something. So that you have something. I did that once with John Jarvis. um, Something that you, you can push back against. And you have to not be afraid for it to be as outrageous and ridiculous as possible like you have to not worry about whether it's right you just have to you have to put something in and then sometimes you just have
5: to walk away from it all I I think you want to I, I am I assume that I'm going to have some bad ideas and I'm just going to I'm I'm just going to work through all those I'm going to do things myself and reject them and reject them and reject them and by doing that I'm going to figure out what I'm actually interested in and it's like research where I think you've got to do a certain amount, I think in order to let it go in order to toss it out yeah. and not worry about it. You've got to then do it and be done with it. When it's not, when it's not serving you, you're free to, you're free to, free to toss it. So I, I expect to go through the woods.
4: Yeah. I think some sometimes those bad ideas are, are actually just gold. Uh, I love sharing those bad ideas with directors, uh, And having that kind of relationship where you can say, look, here are the five really terrible ideas that I had that um, maybe you can make some sense of, but I'm going to throw them out and, and see, see whether or not it does anything for you. And often it does. Often there's something in there that they connect with. Um, But, but that, that can be a, a great way to help unblock a moment or unblock a, you know, a little, if you're struggling with figuring out how to stage a particular thing, I think, coming up with all of the bad ideas, they shouldn't be censored necessarily.
7: Mm. Yeah, we're also not, we don't, we work a lot on our own, but it's not in total isolation, although now it is. But um, I've, I've no problem if I'm stuck on something, calling up the director and go, hey, I'm, I'm, I can't quite work this through. Let's talk it through. That's, you know, and that's the relationship you should be having with your director, because you are a team. And um, so, yeah, showing bad ideas, showing the good ideas, something will come out and they'll respond to to something. And I think that, that um, yeah, just not being afraid to make mistakes. Hmm. That's don't self-censor. To...
8: Yeah.
0: Oh, no, go ahead, Pat. You were trying to say I was that just you were
8: Yeah, don't self-censor. It's what everyone's saying. You think, oh, that's a dumb idea. I won't tell anybody. But as Ken says, it's often the, the perfect thing, you know, that sort of goes, oh. And not being afraid to throw it all out. Mm. done so much work it's like i can't let this go now can i but sometimes you just have to trash it yeah
1: i think that's actually one of the most wonderful feelings because you've allowed yourself to to just let it go and it's not weighing you down anymore and you're not trying to force it to be the right answer when it's not
2: Michael, was there something you wanted to add?
0: I was going to say, what about, um, I mean, there are some designers who are real kind of, I don't know, they have a particular style, and you hire them for that show because you want that particular style, and uh, I don't know if that is something I could say about anybody here uh i'm sure everyone has their own style i just haven't seen everything you've done so i have no idea
8: (laughs) i think there are perceptions of different styles people think people have certain styles but you don't necessarily you know you get locked into certain perceptions of what you do uh, which
1: is and i think there are perceptions and sometimes realities uh, not necessarily about a style but about your work process and your habits um, and how you how you do your work. I think that may be the thing that, you know, we all, no matter how much our, our outcomes might be totally different, we all have certain temperaments and we all have certain kinds of energy. And I think those become the things that are recognizable for better or for worse. Excellent.
5: Context makes such a difference. Like it's, it, uh, the thing is, it's 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 like deciding what to wear to a party. You know, if it's upscale, dress down. If it's downscale, dress up. Context makes a big difference. It's uh, I don't carry around my own aesthetic, although I'm sure there are limits and self-editing and all kinds of things. But I think it's often the situation and the theater space and you, everything else. You go, okay, fresh here, fresh now, fresh for this script what's that and I think in a little poor space you want to blow something out and and you don't want to seem overdressed to the party in (laughs) in other places you you know so uh, there's a whole culture of the project that that also comes to bear on an aesthetic which is interesting I mean sometimes you're there there is an aesthetic to a place and a and a writer and a and, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but what constitutes, uh, of, again, something, something that feels new or that, that, that feels like it's in motion, it'll be different in different contexts.
4: I think if anybody ever said to me that they were bringing me onto a project uh, because of a certain aesthetic I brought to my work, that would make me really self-conscious. And mm. I, would, uh, I, I would suddenly feel like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for. Um, uh, and that I would really need them to articulate that to me because honestly, like my, my own sense of my aesthetic is uh, maybe not as defined as other people's sense of, of my own aesthetic.
3: It's interesting. I just, I just finished doing uh, a production of Mary Poppins not too long ago. And when I was hired at the Grand, uh, the director said, uh, now I, I know this is going to seem crazy to you, but would you be interested in doing Mary Poppins? And I, I just didn't understand why, uh, I was curious, you know, I had to, you know, of course, yeah, I'm really interested. Um, and, and I think that there's perceptions, uh, of a body of work. You can't help it. If you've got a website, you've got a portfolio, they see, uh, there is an aesthetic there, you know, that you might feel you can't, uh, I'm not, i am not I try not to be self-conscious of it, but I think that others are, uh, sometimes saying, you know, I really want to know what you're going to do to Mary Poppins, uh, because of the aesthetic you have. And I, you know, that does make me nervous too, because I don't, I'm not overly conscious. I mean, broad strokes wise, you could, you know, I could, I could understand, uh, there's a certain, you know, for, Probably everybody in this group, I'm aware of your work over the years. That I think that on some level, you know, you know, I, I could probably sort of see a show and go. I can get it within five designers, um, but but it's not something I'm I'm self conscious or try not to be self conscious about. Have
0: you ever found yourself um, in a rut? You're working a lot. You've got five shows. Uh, all do within the same time period and you're trying to not have any cross talk, uh, but you find, now you've used the same couch in two of the three productions and you're like, ah, that the, the couch fits, but maybe it doesn't. Like, <laughs> How do you find your way out
6: of that uh, if it's ever happened? I think I sort of find my myself, I, when I make a model, I always make it, um, I make a little white model box and I, and I put a little gooseneck lamp uh, over to one side and I start folding white paper and twisting it around pencils and tearing organic shapes. And I've done about probably five shows in the last three or four years that are twisted white paper shows, <laughs> but it ended up being, you know, and I just got onto this thing that I went, oh, you know what, I'm just sort of there. I'm sorry. It's just a period of white twisted paper. And I like that. And, you know, if it, I don't, I won't force it on to like Mary Poppins, let's say, but <laughs> I, um, I, I kind of feel like I do understand what Lorenzo was saying that, like, I, you know, when someone says, oh, Lorenzo, you might not be interested in Mary Poppins, because I think, you know, I see Lorenzo's stuff and it's, it's often very avant-garde and very modern, very cool. And you think, well, Mary Poppins, you know, but that's kind of fun to design that sort of show. Mm-hmm. It's like a real, it's a real challenge for people like us who tend to do maybe more, Weird stuff, and I, I work with my partner Morris a lot. We've done a hundred shows together, so I have this weird shorthand that it's. I work with other directors, but not a huge amount of other directors. So it is weird. I do, I do present stuff more than I think maybe other people do with discussions because I I know that I'm expected to come up with certain things, but I do think that we all. I mean, I look at all of you and I go, oh, I kind of you know a lot of mean So I can say I could probably guess whose that was, and I like that because. I'm jealous of every painter in the world um, who has a style. And I'm, I'm drawing every every day now in this horrible isolation. I'm drawing every day. I've never drawn so much in my life, and, and I'm really loving it. I, for, I have a schedule. Morris and I have set a schedule for every day, and it literally is very, like 10 o'clock we do this, from, from 12 o'clock to one we exercise, from one to two we eat, from two to 4.30 we draw, he writes five. and I sit down every day for two and a half to three hours now and draw and I look forward to it. And I think this is an amazing thing that's happened out of this is that I've rediscovered my, my sense of drawing and I'm rediscovering my style and I'm beginning to go, oh, this is how I draw because I can draw in so many different ways. <laughs> I drew Ken in the, in the ADC meeting when he was on. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, it's, I think it's interesting and do you get into a rut? Yeah, but I think you get into a style, you get into the thing, well, I like, maybe you, maybe you just like primary colors, right or you like every set black and white with a spot of red, or you like all white sets, you like whatever. I think we just go through phases, and I think that's okay, and I love seeing the other designers I agree. go through mm-hmm. those phases.
3: I, I remember being aware of it and feeling um, strangely guilty of wanting to use the same material again, and uh, realizing, you know, oh, you know, um, a scenic painter said to me, oh, no, you're just, you're going through your, face you're going blue period yeah (laughs) yeah so it's like you know uh and it was a time I didn't want anything painted I wanted the material to be inherently the 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 thing and not to faux anything and and so you know I was putting this painter out of work but they were really really collaborative and really great about how it doesn't really you know there's that and then there's theatricalizing that which means actually you know there's something, but it's not. Uh, so anyway, I agree, Ken. It is. I think it's inescapable. I think it exists. I can, with lighting designers as well. There's, we are drawn. We develop over the years uh, a sense of what we are excited about. We think is interesting, and we're exploring it, whether yep. we're conscious or not.
5: But your style is not the goal. Your style, no, is, for sure. The style is not what you're trying to get to. The yeah. style is coming along for the ride yeah and it's yeah. the stuff that's coming along is the stuff that served you or that you still haven't solved in the same way or that you know you have more road to, you, you know to to, to, sure. to chase it so all these things are coming along with you your style they're not they're they're not an endpoint in any way and if yeah. something drops off because it doesn't really relate to this project or you've done it enough or the endpoint wasn't what you thought it was then you've just simply let it go and there's something else in its place so uh, I I can tell sometimes that there's been things that that have niggled at me and they recur in certain kinds of shows like when you're trying to do a landscape but you're trying to do it almost abstractly how do you figure out distance how do you how do you play with scale all those things and and how minimal can you get so that the audience is providing it all and mm. i've done that a million times and i don't know if people even know that i have but i've been <laughs> looking at that forever just to see what happens down that down a similar road so it, it's it's not a worry having a style i don't think it should be it's a good
0: point i mean we don't um I guess we're all in our own heads. We think, oh, this looks the same as the last show. But the audience at Canadian Stage didn't go to the grand show that I just did. And they may not ever meet. So you can try and go down these different roads and figure out what works and what doesn't and and what you find pleasing. And, and maybe you've, you've finally succeeded at doing the thing. I know I pursued for uh, many shows trying to find out uh, to have a shadowless light that was also contained on stage and didn't man, didn't spill everywhere. And it took like three or four or five attempts for me to finally get to a show that actually allowed me to do that thing. And then I was like, Oh, good. Okay, good. So I can do that. Now I'm going to move on to the next thing and find out whatever interests me there. But you would never, if you'd seen, if you'd seen those three shows, you would never probably figure that out. Uh, but I think that that's okay. And I think it also talks about the tension between being an artist and being a collaborator because each one of you is a particular artist. Um, but you're also there as a designer to solve the problems for the director and for the play and tell the story. And those two things kind can, can sometimes pull on each other. And that, that's that there's a continuum. Uh, I think.
1: I sort of feel more and more like we're animators. Uh, Because we are, all of us, regardless of what um, part of the process you are involved in, we're trying to bring something to life. And, uh, you know, when you think of starting with words, uh, it's pretty extraordinary to look at that entire process of taking words on a page and then making something however it gets put together that is um an animation that could be hours long and that has all kinds of moving parts and um you know it sort of made me start to look at everything in terms of what is the potential for bringing this to life and it you know how you do that there's a million different, a million and a half different ways to do it on every project and with every group of people you're working with. But it's, you know, I, I, I look at the idea of animation now totally differently, I think, because I think, oh, well, you know, we think of animation as cartoons, but, but we are all animators.
2: We just got an excellent question in from the chat, from Echo, which is, for young designers, what do you do to practice the skills and artistic thinking when you don't have shows going on?
7: Just live your life. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> just live your life. I, I I, like you can practice drawing, it's always a great skill, but actually the more you can actually draw from life or the more experiences you have from real life I think bringing that into your design I think is the best way uh, for me I don't I don't do uh pretend set designs when I'm not working because that's not how the process works anyways and I don't you know I I because of the self-isolation I've been trying to draw every day or just try to do something with my hands um but um I think I think having interests outside of theater also makes you um, just more well-rounded as a human being. And you bring that to your, to your work, I find. That's just from my experience. I agree. Um, yeah. And you have to be reading. curious. Yes, reading or being curious about other things, yeah.
4: Yeah, I think that idea of a kind of a a renaissance like existence in some way that isn't just focused on uh, you know, the thing that we spend most of our time. And in fact, probably there are some of us who, who uh, struggle with the the answer to that question only because like we, we just go from show to show like there isn't really that downtime between things that allows us to practice. I mean, in this moment, there is maybe an exception. Maybe we all have a lot of time right now to to look at other things and think about other things, but, but um, you know, uh, in a regular schedule, there isn't a lot of that time. So, so bringing the other parts of your life uh, to bear on the work that you do, I think is important. Read
5: read plays. Um, Don't, don't try to design them, but read plays. Um, Be, be, you know, if, if you, You've done tons of dramatic literature at university. Try to get the taste of that out of your mouth, so that you're just reading things for yourself. Go and see something, and then if you liked it, get the script and read it. I mean, just just find out, and not not to design, not to design at all, but know how you feel about a script. Know how you yourself feel about a script, so that if you had a conversation then with a friend or somebody, you you you'd you'd be able to talk from your heart about about the about the play um so so and and that just you cannot read at all and go and see things you can find out that you work best from not from that place not from a community base but from pursuit of other things that's fine but to be able to relate to a script um and and it, the designing is is just just follows that. It's not. It's it. In some ways, it's not as important. The execution is 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 the second half.
1: Mm-hmm. Go to so, art galleries, a, art yeah.
8: galleries. Yeah, reading, looking at other painters, looking at mm-hmm. uh, the the world out there, the visual world. There's so much going on right now. It's really exciting, and there's time to do that and to listen to music. A lot of different mm. music now. I've been listening to as well.
6: I follow a huge amount of dis- of different. Um, not designers so much, but artists on Instagram. Mm. And I find when you find one artist, yeah. there's this guy named John Wentz. I think it's W-E-N-T-Z. He's from Paris. He posts one picture a day, and I'm so in love with his drawings. They're digital, and like I wish that I had drawn them. Every time I go, fuck, I wish I had drawn that. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so good. And um, and then you see that who Ready he follows, and then yeah, John Wentz, W-E-N-T-Z. He's just yeah. great. And um, he and and then. I I sort of saw it and I follow a lot because I draw on the iPad. I follow a lot of iPad procreate artists. Mm -hmm. Procreate is the program I draw on. And Mm -hmm. um, just to watch, I mean, I love watching other people draw. And I know when I post on Facebook and stuff, little animated drawings, people go, Oh, I just love watching the process of how it goes. I saw a a film, oh, maybe 20 years ago, called Picasso Paints, I think. And he was painting on a piece of glass. you watched him do this incredible painting. And then he scrubbed it all out except for the bottom. And it was beautiful. Scrubbed it all out except for the bottom and it worked up again. You thought, that's so fascinating. And when you see on iPad that people draw and and what what you've erased and what you can change, I think it's fascinating to watch. I mean, I'm even fascinated when I'm standing in like Piccadilly Square or something to watch caricature artists. I could watch somebody Mm. draw. All day so I'm kind of um, I'm kind of absorbed right now in watching a lot of people on Instagram but watch them draw and you know just seeing how I draw and learning to redraw
5: not now but one quietish winter I um, I was walking past a little wee animation school called max the mutt that's really close to where I live and I, thought, I wonder if they have pick up life drawing classes you know that I could pay as you go or whatever and they didn't but they were curious enough about me that they let me audit drawing classes Mm. so i rejoined at a like art. they said you know what are you i'm not a beginner i'm not advanced i'm intermediate okay (laughs) um but it was fascinating because it was all young people and man they could just draw like crazy um and they had some technical skills that i had didn't have they they do you know the skeletons they you know bone whole courses drawing bones and all of that sort of stuff because the animators are the ones who still really have to learn to draw but there were things that I could do my drawings uh, my figure studies and everything were all individual people and they were better with the muscles and the anatomy and I could not even in 30 seconds not have it be somebody and uh and so Mm -hmm. so, again I've never I've never had a better time and it had nothing to do with theater
2: and it was terrific we have another good question that came in from the chat from amy which is again focused on on young designers how do or did you balance designing to gain shows under your belt for experience while still needing to make some kind of money
1: I was really poor for a long time and didn't have a car until i was in my 40s and didn't own property until i was in my late 40s
8: i think we were lucky when we were younger though because we could live really cheaply in toronto Mm. remember like you know it didn't cost a lot and we because i was able to live on the money i made um it wasn't much i remember paul thompson gave me i think it was seventy dollars for a show and he said what you don't spend on the show, you can keep for yourself. You know, <laughs> See, it's okay. <laughs>
5: <That's very laughs> awesome. I know. Um,
8: I had one but, of those.
0: But you know, he still does that.
8: Exactly. But I kept 35 bucks and I paid my rent, but not, not nowadays. And so it, yeah. it's probably
5: a good question. Cause I know my students. I worked backstage at things like, you know, bigger theaters are easier to pick up jobs, mm-hmm. but he, be the, the, <sighs> the scenic artist helper and clean the brushes be the you know all of those skills backstage you get to watch other people working who've been at it longer than you to do in those shops and it will make you a better anything you learn about how Mm. things are built and made and thought through and executed uh uh, you know be somebody's assistant in any craft any craft Mm. at all and um uh, that it, it, there's, there's satisfaction in that and, and a small paycheck.
3: And I think that there's like, when you're just starting out um, and maybe in the first, I don't know, it's different for everybody, but let's just say the first few years, first five years, that there's different forms of payment. I would say, I think that there's getting paid of course is great to be able to pay your rent, the thing you do. Um, but also there's, what I always kind of described is like there's paying your dues, but there's, there's different um, degrees or different ways of paying your dues that some are smarter than others, I think. And, and I would say that, for example, um, I remember receiving a call from a young director, my age and saying, you know, was 24 and saying want to work for free. And I said, what's the gig? What are we doing? And I knew that he had assembled uh, a group of young, up and coming uh, artists, actors in, that, in Toronto, and it was a great show to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And the thing you have to remember, the people you're working with for free with now, be, like mm-hmm. this, so this director became an artistic director uh, mm-hmm. 20 years later. So th- in that journey, You develop a relationship and, of course, um, loyalty and a desire to build a relationship, uh, an artistic relationship. And so my feeling is, is if everybody's ideally paying their dues together equally and struggling together, uh, that's worth it. I think if you're the only one on the show not making any money, then I think that's another factor to Mm. be discussed. But I I do think... uh, if that is something I've noticed in the younger generation coming out. I that uh, is brought up a lot, um, which is in a, a desire to leap into a career and I get it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I recall not making much money for for some time mm-hmm. and but being fueled by uh, trying to dive into building friendships and relationships, and not forcing it in, mm-hmm. a, in a kind of businessy way, but literally just making work with friends that you're excited to quote, show up with, and that evolves into something authentic, and I think authenticity is a kind of important part of that recipe. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I agree with everything you said, and I think that it's really important. Those relationships will, will carry you through your life, because one of the things that's the challenge is what do you do when you're starting out and how do you get established? One of the other ones is you get to be older is how do you keep doing it in the long haul and how do you not get bored doing it? How do you keep challenging yourself? And and I think one of the things that I've realized is that at the end of the day, I don't care if it's a big project or a small project. I just want to be working with people I find interesting. Mm -hmm. Because that's what's going to carry you forward. And that part of getting to establish that group of people that you can be sympathetic towards in terms of how you work and what you care about and what gets you excited and what stimulates you. I mean, you know, you will go through your life and some of them will die. And you'll lose them. And some of them will have to be replaced with new people. But if you don't have that group of people you care about working with, then the work is too hard. <laughs> in I, community.
0: I agree with everything that's been said. I think it's important also to mention or to acknowledge that the economics of living in Toronto has Completely mm, totally changed. changed. Totally. Uh, even even when I went to when I first came to Ryerson in the early '90s, and was I could easily uh, get a room with friends for four hundred dollars a month. I don't think that you you can't do that these days. And I think a one bedroom in Toronto, the average one bedroom is eighteen hundred dollars for a one bedroom, uh, and fees. I mean, I don't want to get into a giant fee discussion because we've had that discussion on the show, and and it's ongoing, but um like they haven't the fees aren't going up so we're getting behind like every year young designers are getting more behind and more behind and more behind because back in the 80s and the 70s there was more shows and it was cheaper to live
7: mm-hmm.
0: even in the 90s there was more there was more theater, there was just more work around uh and now there's this always this balance of like you know i can't do another free show because i got a thousand dollars in rent that i have to pay as you know with my roommate or my two other roommates so i get hundred dollars to two other roommates uh to actually just live in the city um and it's all i think we should lament that because you can't just explore i think as a young artist as much as even i could and i'm a generation behind a lot of people in this conversation so um yeah it's a it's like it's maddening and i think we need to pressure government to shore up that and
8: yeah i know i've had students who really really talented students who just gave up and went to do something else because they just couldn't make it they're not they couldn't they got lots of work but they didn't get paid for it Mm -hmm.
1: and i think there's lots of people who have quit sort of mid-career as well you know Mm -hmm. that that it's 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 not it's not easy but I think, I think also that I s- have seen that in smaller communities because Toronto has become has been becoming so difficult that there's you know there has been a kind of a lot of gurgling growth in other communities in Peterborough in Hamilton in Kitchener you know and they may have the same. Uh, uh, resource or facilities, but there's an energy there of things being started, which is, uh, I think, kind of potentially exciting. Because when I started out, it was all England, it was all London and New York, like there was not much in Toronto. And things filled that vacuum. Um, And I see that happening in smaller, I see that happening in different ways now in smaller communities, because Toronto is becoming so difficult. I live in hope anyway.
5: The one thing I I would like to say that is there is no one right way. Like, don't be worried about being off the path. If there's something you're curious about, but you don't think it relates directly to uh, theatre design, so be it. We've come from all over the place, and some of the most interesting contributors to theatre are people with really oddball backgrounds. There is no wrong way to grow as a person if you're curious about something go and do it and Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. uh, we all need to learn to be uh, to to do multiple things we have to learn that over time if not at the same time and it you don't just off some kind of singular path to a goal is not going direct it's to make yourself a fuller more interesting person so don't be too afraid just do what you want to do if
4: you can. It's it's worth mentioning too, I, I, this doesn't exactly solve the problem of the economics of some of the big cities in Canada and how difficult it is for a young person to start out and, and get into this career. But I do think uh, this is one of the careers uh, where assisting is still a really relevant uh, way to, to get oh, yeah. into the business, right? And I know that we've talked about the idea of assisting backstage and getting your hands on... Uh, in the painter shop and and you know if you can get some carp work, that that's great but i also think that um connecting with other designers with senior designers i owe such a debt of gratitude to ken mcdonald here who when i came back to toronto I, i'm known as as ken number two in at, at adc and at shaw <laughs> and i developed that relationship because i worked through ken mcdonald and 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 uh and they know me there because of that and that's that's valuable. I mean, there's a great deal of value in, in that kind of relationship. And, and I think that even though, uh, it's, it's still harder to pay rent with those, uh, with, with an assistance fee, it's, it's, it still is a, a really important way to, to learn in this profession. Oh yeah.
6: Well, I think it's true. I mean, Ken, I was going to say the same thing that both you, Lorenzo and you, um, assisted me lots of times. And, um, I think that a young designer who's a really good draft person or a good model maker, uh, like Chung hey who is just so wonderful. and it works for a lot of us. I mean, I, and I just wrote her and said, Hey, we're all going to be on this thing. If you want to watch us. um, someone like that is just absolutely invaluable. And so then, uh, when then once you guys, you know, when you first started out, you weren't doing that much stuff, but now you guys are so busy. I hardly ever, you know, I never use Cana Lorenzo. I'd love to, but um, <laughs> yeah. but I think what's so fantastic is people will say to me, well, do you know any young, any designers who can do this? And I go, yes, I do, actually, because I got to know you guys and because you got to know me. And I think that that's something really that young designers who have the skills that some of us don't have. I mean, you know, I know the people. everybody except me can draft really well, but um, it's just, I think, uh, a really good way to come in to to get to know other people because through that i think ken mackenzie um got sort of involved in in soul pepper and stuff like that you know we, we uh, he just sort of got to to know me and the soul pepper and then he just took off and i think it's so fantastic so i do think for a young designer if they can i mean ken literally broke me out of the blue and i didn't even know who he was just and but i had lost it uh, i think robin fisher was designed for me and she had moved to Ottawa and I said well, sure I'd love to meet you I actually just lost my assistant and that was just a great relationship for such a long time and still is that um, I think maybe in answer to that question that if you are a young designer and could hook up with a more senior designer even just as a bit of a mentor no designer minds talking to a younger designer about, about ideas in fact it's a, it's a privilege and it's you feel quite honored that somebody actually cares about what you've done so mm-hmm. yes I think that would be a good thing to do <laughs>
2: We have another interesting question in from chat, from Rachel, which is do you also design another discipline, costume lighting or projection or sound, does that affect your set design process in any way?
5: I love to do both whenever I can. Some projects it's just too much, but costumes and sets. You tend to be in a slightly different rhythm, so that it's possible in a lot of circumstances to do both. And having having that chance to ha- to make your world, um, uh, but I, I I'm also happy to to go just to set or go just to costumes and have the collaboration with another designer. That's also a uh, makes it fresh and interesting too. So I. I don't know if it affects things overall but i would hate to to ever be asked to really make the choice like to Mm -hmm. define yourself as one thing or another i'm i'm
1: with sue i feel like i i sat with a director's guild of canada application on my desk for over a year and never filled it out because i was thinking i've got to find a way to you know be economically more solvent i'm going to go into film but i couldn't decide whether (laughs) i wanted to do Costume or production design, and I think to me, uh, like with like Sue says, I would do one or the other, but I love doing both together because to me it's about humans in space, and that's really all I care about. Like, what's that comb- combined relationship, and how does that work? So,
3: for me, it's it um, I. I you know whether I do set and costumes or set and lights, it it, it um, does affect the set design process uh, only because I think, and I've been ve- I feel very blessed to have worked with so many amazing lighting designers. But when I'm, oftentimes my impetus to want to jump in and say, "Well, I'll do the set and lights on that one," is because I'm I'm seeing the this, the story through, you know, the, the language of the design, um, wanting to manipulate the lighting to shape how I'm going to do the set. And so they're both, I'm engaged with both uh, right away, right from the beginning Um, and, and vice versa. So, and you know, I've done, I, I would not consider myself a projection designer, uh, but I would consider myself a set designer that does projection, and that is because literally um, I wanted to explore it, but I didn't want to have to commit to it. So if we wanted to cut it, I could. Uh, and eventually, um, feeling that at some level and sometimes the distinction needs to be made, but um, but just being curious about the medium as an extension of set design and then on my own time with YouTube and meeting people exploring the discipline. But I, to do it, the kind of deep dive, um, that I know single discipline projection designers, like what they have in terms of even, uh, software and hardware knowledge, um, is way beyond my, uh, knowing or even interest. So, uh, it's, but it does. For me, it does affect how I how I work.
8: Don't you find? I find it's really hard not to think of everything when you're designing the show, even if you're just the set designer. It's 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 all there. It's all part of how you you see it. I, I can't not design the lighting in my head. I'm mean, I'm not the lighting designer, but I've certainly thought it through. Because
3: you lighting you're, designers love that. No, I'm
8: just well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see Kimberly Patel's question here coming up. <laughs>
3: oh. Yeah, especially when in the middle of levels, the set designer's yeah. standing behind. Just you so you like, know, this question no, that she's posting,
8: <laughs>
3: this is a very passive-aggressive question from Kim. I want you to all know. <laughs> is she targeting somebody? You know, I
1: mean, you can design, you can decide whether you put a window somewhere, like whether you put a door somewhere, whether you put something that light will it will. Engage with in a particular way because of what it is and you you're so in that way I'm sort of like Pat. I know I'm not a lighting designer But I sure think about the potential of what can be lit in terms of figuring out that composition of stuff in space So over to Kim's question
4: (laughs) Well, and also just to add like if nothing else like set electrics are so uh, useful right just in creating the picture whether it's, whether it's the, the uh, practical instruments or, or like the theatrical instruments, like light on stage, actual mm-hmm. light sources on stage are, are a beautiful thing to add to a set, right? And so you have to kind of think at least a little bit in uh, dynamically about light, even if you're just a set designer.
5: The, uh, the, the combination of set designer and projection designer, you, you've got to get your projection designer on site at the preliminary stage. You really need somebody with the knowledge of equipment and positions in the theater and everything to make sh- to, to troubleshoot with you as well as to talk ideas and everything else. I had a an experience recently that was so tough because my deadlines were all coming due and I was meant to be executing the set design and they were not engaging the projection designer. They were keeping that on a much later timeline like you know, lighting came in before projection. Well, that was just awful. I I mean, I, it was asking for trouble. Those, I, I, I told them. I told them. You know, we, we, I need to get the this flexibility here in this whole hang. Now let's, let's get a group together so that it all can make sense. So, some things are just absolutely collaborative. Uh, they should be. It's, it's. You're putting yourself at a terrible disadvantage. Not Whenever I'm designing
8: it. a show, I always call the lighting designer. Whoever it is, and say, Can you come over? Can we talk? Or, like, at the very beginning of the process? Because I don't see how you do it without that if I know that if they've been hired.
1: I think it depends, too, on what the material is that you're doing. Sometimes mm-hmm. I find that I don't even know anything about what the world might be until I've had a chance to work with the director enough to figure out some of the basic language of that world and so in a sense in, in that kind of situation i i sometimes think i don't even know like there's nothing there's nothing there yet and and once then once there starts to be something there then i feel like it's great to start having conversations with what lighting designers can bring. Yeah, I think that's and what I And mean, projection designers. But, you know, there's, there's lots of times when I feel like you're, you know, you're wandering around in circles in the dark going, is it a red box or is it an elephant? And, you know, you're not much
7: good to anybody <laughs> until you figure that out. I like I like bringing I like inviting everybody into the process as early as they want to be. I'm not precious about any part of my process. Um, with a couple of directors, mostly with me and Ali Aquino, and some other directors, I've brought this sort of way of working to other directors as well. Is actually bring the entire creative team together: the set cost, set and costume designer, projection designer, if there's one, lighting designer, sound designer, even. It may be incredibly boring. It may be that first date awkwardness where we're like what do we do but it's everybody jamming together we call them designer jams there's always good food um usually and um and they can choose not to come uh any of the collaborators but i like having i personally like having the line designer in on the process very very early if they want if they're interested so I try to share as much as possible because I want to give them opportunities as well. I mean, there's sometimes where I completely block off all the things and they can't do anything, but I try to, <laughs> as much as possible, leave them opportunities. Um, and if I'm not doing the costumes, also being aware of if they have a strong feeling of color, then I will hold back the color on the set because I don't want them to fight each other. Absolutely. So it's bringing, just being open to all the collaborators that I'm going to be working with because it has to look like it's. Cohesive, so um, that's just well, that's just my personal preference.
0: Um, but. We should say that uh, Kim Kim Pertel's question was, uh, "When do you like to involve other collaborators in the design process?" For those who hadn't guessed already, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: we didn't actually mention the question, and she just mentioned she did reiterate that she loves you all,
8: <laughs> uh, even though I, she doesn't know. I, I do find that
3: that that it is a, a director, um, or that. The question of when everybody comes together, sometimes if it's left up to the director, it may you know actually they. I know some that just can only deal one on one at the start um, mm-hmm. and that intimacy before they branch it out, uh, but uh, I agree with Cami that it that it can be um, an exciting process to kind of just open it up and and I think if everybody feels like everything that's being said right now in the early exploration that we're not, it's not about pinning down anything and no one has to worry about nurturing ideas that we're not excited about, um, for too long that, um, and ultimately, um, I think everyone respects each other's discipline enough to understand that we're not, I'm not trying to design lights or they're not trying to design set. It's more of just about, getting to the idea that we're all going, that's going to be the diving board for all of us. And um, you can either do it now or later. I just, to Kim's point, I think she was saying she likes to be part of it earlier. Um, it, it just, I think it enriches, it, it just enriches the, the, the process and the knowledge base. Um, I, just coming from a, just trying
0: to be empathic or empathic or empathetic towards, especially new directors. Do you think it's overwhelming? Like if you have an idea in your head of what you have an idea of what the show should be, uh, and you've got a set designer, a lighting designer, a costume designer. Sometimes those places are combined, but let's say it's a larger show plus a sound designer plus a production projection designer. Uh, if I had six designers in the room with me or five designers in the room with me, I'd be a bit overwhelmed to try to get my ideas, in, especially if I was a younger designer. So it may be, they may pick the set designer or the production designer to come in and just have a one-on-one conversation to sort of feel safe and figure those ideas out first. So I guess it depends on on the director.
7: Yeah, it totally does. I think it's their comfort level or if they want to have that same conversation five times, individual conversations or all together, it depends on how they... I would imagine how, how comfortable they are, but yeah. Cause for me, I, I can't get every director to do that, to do that to jam process. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I should,
4: go ahead, Lorenzo. No, go. just
3: to, to Sue's point, it, you know, to nerd out for one second process wise, but that this, that there is something, you know, because we're moving into a world of projection design is a really significant contributor to the to, to theater design. Um, I am aware that, that contractually they're required to come a little later in the process um, that they start a little later and it's, and it's challenging to engage in a process where, you know, you don't want to feel like you're um, driving it too much too soon for them. And in the end, once they really can turn their attention towards it, it's going to become something else uh, later. And so I think theater companies now need to start thinking about projection really as if they're going to collaborate meaningfully with set design, that it's, it's got to be right at the beginning. Uh, They're both setting off together. I mean, all should be, but I understand. I mean, if we're also honest, it's really hard to get six designers in a room at the same time. I mean, now with technology, it shouldn't, we can all be together, but, it is difficult scheduling wise. I've found in the past, we'd love to, but we can't. But mm.
4: yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, it, like, when working with a younger director, which in part involves uh, acknowledging that I am no longer really a young designer, which is tough, but I've but uh-huh. uh, come to grips <laughs> with that a little bit. Um, there's a you're special a kind of care. Yeah. Well, there, there is a special kind of care that, uh, like, I really, uh, and I think a lot of people do this. They try and make sure that those ideas that they're trying to articulate, that you're really working carefully with them uh, to make sure that um, you're not going to run over them. You're going to be, like, you're going to tr- really try and help them realize whatever that young vision is. That that's certainly a feeling that I get when I when I feel like I'm working with somebody who's less experienced. It's like, okay, well, this is somebody who needs maybe a little bit more attention to to really help them uh, realize whatever idea they're they're trying to to get across.
5: I think some of that is self interest too, Ken, and that you you need to, you need to go slowly yeah. so that they feel like they own it, because if if, if they don't have that that thing coming from from there you you could end up in a place where you don't want to be um, and that's that's not the, it can be self-protective you know in terms of the of meeting to meeting but the overall goal is still is, is still to, to create a kind of unity and that really can only happen through the director's commitment to it all so I think that kind of go slow light touch all of that sort of thing I, th- I, I think that everybody. I thought on that panel of lighting designers a uh, week ago or two, whenever it was I thought that was something that really stood out was that those lighting designers know how to deal with those early conceptual stages there was not a lot of nerding out from those folks going to go on about you know, they, they weren't making decisions about the rig or writing their cues out and then developing those relationships with designers, so that's not something for us to really talk about Uh, today, but it is that job of projection design and lighting design. If you want that earlier collaboration, the job itself has has to have that lighter touch than it did traditionally.
2: We have another question from the chat from Jonathan, which is, have you ever started using other disciplines to make your designs? For example, drawing a costume and then using that experiment to create the set.
6: um no not i i think of things that changed like when i was doing a set for um design for design for living at Shaw festival it's a noel coward play and i had made this model uh, uh out of all these windows and i thought oh it looks like a million shows that i've done and morris came home and said oh i like that and i went oh, i don't like it and i crumpled it up and i threw it on the floor not in anger just like oh, i don't like it and i put it back in the box and we went Oh, I really like that, and so that in the set became that crumpled piece of of torn thing, and then that that determined everything else. That it takes place in Paris and London and New York at the same time, so everything became twisted. And um, I think that you know it, it didn't start off with a, a costume designer, but it started off with a mistake. And I think often you find that a mistake, or you tore something, you put it back on the page, and went, "Oh, that's kind of interesting." You know, I get frustrated with my own drawings, and I'll tear them, and I go, "Oh, it could become a collage." Um, I think that you can be—it can be determined by different things that you that you do. Yeah, that's a weird answer.
3: I mean, I—I'd I, say from from a video, you know, projection design point of view, that I have worked on shows where I've known what I want to do projection design-wise, um, but no idea what the set should be. And then you're kind of trying to figure out what's going to receive the projection and how is that going to, um, that you, so you're working outward from the video, from the projection design to figure out what the set should be. Um, but still eventually you then tip over into being a set designer and start thinking, um, in that discipline more literally. So, but it, it, um, uh, but I' never thought abstractly in as you're describing
5: You can certainly go to do your research with one thing in mind and use it for something again completely different. You can go to a painter thinking it's your you know it's, it's your palette and it turns out to to. to be all about shapes i mean i think early on really early that not to say i'm 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 searching for this but just to be out there roaming um that the, the the disciplines really can cross over a lot at that stage and be quite abstract and fabrics i mean i think a lot of us just love texture and fabrics so I, we've all had that experience of something, putting something completely out of scale in a model, you know, your little piece of lace or your mesh and to, to, that you would think of as costume material. And you go, okay, yeah, you know, in, in an entirely different scale, I, I now have my backdrop or, or whatever, or I now have my, my floor texture or this this." Now that I've got this piece of linen in my hand, I, know, I I know what everything is. So that 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 early on, I I think there's no division between the
1: And I think the important word in that question is experiment. And at the end of the day, uh. What is an experiment? I mean, I've taken laundry dryer fluff and used it. And uh, I've taken curry powder out of the kitchen and used it. Um, You know, so like the, the fun part is when you can genuinely experiment. And when you do that, Honestly, I think you, you don't know what's going to come out of it and you don't know where it's going to go and you don't know what applications it may have. But man, oh man, curry powder is actually a really interesting material. I'm here to tell you.
6: But Sean, I want to see the set you made out of laundry lint. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Was it at Private Lives or? <laughs>
5: <laughs> no. I, I should
0: I should mention uh, just apropos of nothing that I I remember listening uh, about uh, I'm a big fan of the West Wing and I found out that Snuffy Walden who's the composer uh, for the West Wing uh, is a guitarist and he wrote all the music he writes everything uh, that he does on the guitar but there's no guitars in the entire West Wing and I, I could not get that I couldn't get around I mean could, he just he's just putting notes in his guitar and they get translated, you know, through software on the computer, but I couldn't, there was the fact that he was using an instrument that didn't sound like anything he was actually composing on, Hmm. but he would use that to actually compose the music. And then out came this violin, timp, small orchestra, orchestral uh, piece of music that blew me away. (laughs) And, uh, I'm sure that happens. Everyone uses a different process to find their ways through their ideas. Um, and uh, ways that I would never think of actually exploring happens all the time. Uh, we're at nine twenty-seven. We have uh, there was a question about uh, I want to acknowledge it only because I'm not going to ask it <laughs> um, about the future of design. I think that we can save that for next time. I always want to leave something on the table uh, before we leave. Cause I think we can have a big discussion about where theater is going uh, uh, with this panel and, you know, maybe a couple of additions uh, for the next time so I want to thank you all for being here tonight um, it's another really interesting discussion and uh, I was, I was cap, uh, captivated by all of you uh, and those Kami uh, uh, and Ken I want to have you on the show uh, I want to interview you guys in the, hopefully in the next couple months uh, to get that done before I go off on my other adventure in Kingston um, so uh, keep that in mind I will remind everybody that uh, uh, Lorenzo, Sean, Sue, Ken, and Pat have all uh, been interviewed uh, on the Title Block, and their uh, episodes can be found at thetitleblock.com. Uh, and this show will be released uh, uh, in a rather unedited form. Um, I'll cut off the, the the embarrassing bits at the beginning when I was still fumbling around, and release that on the uh, podcast feed. Uh, and then we'll see you next week uh, with. Um, hope, I think projection design will end up being next week, um, but we'll let you know after this weekend when we get the design panel together. So, um, thank you all for being uh, on the Tuttle Block Live, everybody.
5: Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank oh, you. Well, great to see everybody. Oh my it gosh. It's yes, great indeed. to see you. Oh.
0: And we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, um, you.
5: thank you. bye.